Hi everyone. Happy August 25th. It's it's a day. It's the end of the first week of school for a lot of you. For me, I'm actually recording this on Wednesday, so my first day of classes is tomorrow, but school actually started yesterday. So it's it's a week. It's a week. It's great getting back in the swing of things. Things have finally calmed down. It is going to be a wonderful semester. Things are much calmer this term and I'm very excited about it. Lots of time that I'll be spending writing and I'll just be taking a couple of really core uh, courses that uh, pertain to the geographical area of my research, which is the French Empire, and to gender studies specifically. So I'll be spending most of my energy on that, and I'll be tying those concepts into my thesis. So yeah, very excited. I have a little announcement to make. I now have ad space. So if you would like to advertise on the show, if you have a business or anything that you would like to advertise on the show, you can go to podbean.com slash the witchy historian ad space. That's A-D-S-P-A-C-E. All one word, no spaces between, no punctuation. Podbean.com slash the witchy historian ad space. And you can go ahead, you'll see my profile there and you can click advertise on this podcast. And you can either submit something for me to read on the show, or you can go ahead and put your own ad on there. And I would love to have you advertise your stuff on my show. That'd be great. Be awesome. I'm here to give you a platform to advertise. So please use my shit. (laughs) All right, so I also kind of wanted to check in before we get started on a couple of current events that we have going on. So I know there's a lot of talk about the indictments, (laughs) and I just want to say I want everybody to kind of keep in mind that they wouldn't indict him if there wasn't evidence. He's going to have his chance to defend himself. It's not a witch hunt. It's not whatever. And I don't know. I think most of the folks who listen to the podcast are probably not in favor of most of the stuff that he's said and done. But you never know. And I want to make this information available to everybody. Because it's factual history and it's important And it's factual things that are happening to the pagan community today, right now, right? The fact is, is that while Donald Trump has not specifically spoken out against people who practice paganism or witchcraft, there's a certain group of people who are fans of his. And those people don't like people like me. They think that we should bring back the events of the witch trials of the early modern period. And that that kind of behavior is okay. The unaliving 
and brutal assaulting and torture of people because of what they believe. I believe in true freedom of religion, which is a core tenet of the Constitution of the United States of America. Freedom of religion also means freedom from religion. Many people who practice witchcraft don't have a religion. Some do, but most of us don't. And it is against the law to discriminate, prosecute, or commit violence against those of us who choose not to participate in a religion at all or a specific religion. However, many of the laws that are currently being put in place by Donald Trump's Republican Party, anti-abortion laws, anti-CRT laws, anti-LGBTQ laws, they are specifically targeting communities and people who do not have a voice that can be amplified and do not have access to resources to amplify their own voices. I'm a member of most of those communities. I do this for free. It's taken me a really long time and a lot of you probably noticed that I kind of went black for a little while, right? Because I don't have a team that helps me do this because I don't have resources when shit goes sideways. The BIPOC, the LGBTQ, the pagan community in general, we don't have a lot of resources for when shit goes sideways. And now for us to have to not only just defend ourselves against individuals, but against our own government, who is tasked with the obligation to protect us and our rights to live as human beings on this planet and in this nation. Well, you can see why some of us are a little less than sympathetic towards those who have actively put us in this position. That being said, all I want to see is justice served. I think the facts speak for themselves. I've read the indictment. It's long, but if you get the chance and you don't want to take my word for it or the words of the prosecutors, go ahead, read it for yourself. And I urge you to do so with an open mind. I urge you to look at things factually and not with emotion, but to be as objective as you possibly can be. Because in that objectivity is where you are most likely to find the truth. And while none of us can ever be completely without bias, being as objective as possible is the job of a historian and the job of any critical thinker. So before we react emotionally to things like the Barbie movie or indictments or a school shooting, 
Let's pause, look at the facts, and say, what is the real cause here? What is the actual problem? Then maybe we can actually unite and we can actually solve some of these problems. So that is my call to action for each of you is to take the time to sit with uncomfortable feelings and to step back from those, set them down and take the time to think critically and carefully about all of the facts before we form a complete and whole opinion. Now, there are some things that are pretty clear. If someone is a convicted pedophile, I think that's a fair statement to make. But we want to make sure that they are convicted before we use those words, right? Anyways, that's enough of that soapbox. So next, we are going to touch on the calendar of the day. So welcome to retrograde season, folks. It is Friday, August the 25th, 2023. We have Pluto, Saturn, Neptune, Venus, and Mercury in retrograde. Over the next two weeks, we are going to have two more planets move into retrograde and then Mercury will move out, but we will also be in the post-shadow period of the Mercury retrograde for another two weeks after that. So things are going to be a little hairy for the next couple of weeks. The calendar today is the 11th animal of the Chinese zodiac, which is the dog. The good luck numbers of the dog are three, four, and nine. The good luck colors are green, red, and purple. The good luck flowers are rose and the orchid. And the good luck directions of the dog are east, south, and northeast. The personality of somebody with the dog as their zodiac sign is loyal honest, amiable, kind, cautious, prudent, and sincere, very reliable, and very moral. But they might also be reticent, stubborn, a little pessimistic, kind of critical, suspicious, and anxious. The years of the dog are 2030, 2018, 2006, 1994, 1982, 1970, 1958, 1946, and 1934. Now, fall is coming. It is still August, but September's right around the corner, and fall is coming at the end of September. So I want to remind you all that pumpkin spice season is upon us. And y'all, it is also a great time to put together your fire cider. If you don't know what fire cider is, it is apple cider vinegar and ginger and turmeric and a bunch of other ingredients that are really good for boosting the immune system. And it also helps recalibrate 
your gut health. Um, I've heard some people say that it tastes like spicy pickle juice. I personally really like vinegar and ginger, so to me, it just tastes like pickle juice. But anyway, that's me. Fire cider. Get you some. Make you some. Find a recipe. And I'm going to actually look up a recipe and put it in the Facebook group. So follow me over there for your fire cider recipe and make you some. It's going to be great. All right. So today, today we are talking about divination. Back to basics. Divination. What is it? What kinds of divination are out there? How do you do them? That kind of stuff. So divination is a practice or an art that seeks clarification or guidance for a person's life or kind of future events. It is intuitive perception and interpretation of omens, usually by way of specific tools or rituals. There are a lot of different types of divination, and divination goes back in many different cultures and practices and has been used all around the world. Some believe that it comes from the subconscious or from the unconscious. Some believe that it comes from the higher powers of the world, like God's spirits. Some believe that it's your psychic mind. Some believe that it's demonic. That's usually what Christians say, <laughs> depending upon what their personal beliefs are. Um, but there's no really evidence of exactly where these, these things come from. But there is evidence that people experience what they see and feel in divination and divinatory practices. A lot of people don't choose to use divination in their practice, and a lot of people do. It really comes down to personal choice. So if this episode is not for you, feel free to listen and move on or skip it entirely. That's entirely your choice. But the different types of divination. We have scrying, cardomancy, which is cards. We have runes. We have casting. We have divination by color, crystal grids, tassomancy, and reading flowers. So I'm going to kind of break down each one of these individually and explain what each one is, kind of how they work, and we'll go from there. So first of all, we have scrying. So scrying is kind of staring into a thing, an item, which is the tool, your divination tool that you're using until images present themselves to you. And then you interpret them. And that interpretation is usually based on a combination of cultural symbolic and or personal associations with those images. So there are all, are all kinds of different scrying. So you can smoke scry, which is staring into smoke coming up from a fire or incense or anything like that. Fire scrying, which is 
staring directly into the flame. Mirror scrying, you, this can be done with a black mirror or a, a regular mirror. Black mirrors are usually obsidian, but they can be done with a black painted mirror as well. The back would be painted with re reflective black paint. Water scrying is another option where you stare into a still pool of water. Um, this is kind of reminiscent of something like we would see in Lord of the Rings where Frodo stares into Gladriel's kind of little basin of water or Harry and um, Dumbledore's pensive. You can also cloud scry. So this is kind of one of those things where you lay on your back and you stare up at the cloud. Oh, that one looks like a bunny. That one looks like a flower, right? So <laughs> cloud scrying is, that's cloud scrying, right? That's actually magic. That has its roots in witchcraft and, um, and in divination. One of the most popular types of scrying, which many people have used, is crystal balls. And this is typically done with a clear ball, but it can also be done with obsidian or other types of reflective surface spheres um, made out of types, different types of crystals. I've seen this done with amethyst. I've seen this done with quartz or cloudy quartz. I've seen this done with white surface um, like white or even blue kind of smooth glossy surface um, but I also I have a merlinite sphere and because it's not glossy and it's not something that I can really stare into and get images out of I can't use that personally myself for scrying it's something that I would have that I use for other types of crystal work not divination usually, but actually for amplifying the power of the crystal. <laughs> but that's me. Some people might have better luck with it. Another method that is less common but can actually can be used is called eyelid scrying. So this is when you just close your eyes and some people kind of see like lights and images on the backs of their eyelids sometimes. And if you are one of those people, you might be able to do eyelid scrying. And again, whatever those images are that kind of pop up, the people who are doing the scrying, the person who's doing the scrying can either write them down or make note of them and, they event, and they'll be able to make an interpretation of either answer a question or an interpretation of a situation or event or whatever based on those images and that symbology. Now, scrying specifically relies on clairvoyance or clear seeing because you are looking specifically for images that are appearing to you in your vision. So another type of divination is cardomancy. This one is another one that y'all will probably recognize because this is where we get tarot and oracle cards from. So this type of divination uses images on cards to interpret meaning for current and near future events 
in one's life based on the definitions and images given to each card and its position in the specific type of spread you're using, which is usually based on the question that you come to the card reader with or that you're using when you're drawing the cards yourself. So there's several different types of cards. And the first one that I am gonna talk about today is the Lenormand cards. And so this is a deck of 36 cards that starts with clovers, which is associated with luck, and ends with the stork. And that brings about change. So within the cards, you'll find two people. So there's the man and the woman, um, either of which can kind of signify the person that's being read for. And if the questioner is male, then the man will signify him and the woman will represent the person closest to him of the opposite sex. So either a mother or a partner or a friend or a sister or something like that. Over time, the deck has evolved to become more diverse. So some packs have added extra people cards for those asking about like same-sex relationships, um, racial diversity is another thing that has come into play with this deck. So different numbers and suits are associated with different things, very similar to a tarot deck, but it's a smaller deck. And um, it's most co common in French and German methodology. So while the definitions of each card kind of remain mostly the same across different systems, there's going to be a few variations very similar to tarot. Um, so then there's a lily and a whip as well, and they can each signify different things. And for instance, we've got diamonds, spades, clubs, and hearts, but each one of those, which is what you would find in a normal playing deck, but each one of those represents a different image of the card. So the six of spades is actually the tower, which represents something big like security, a perspective, um, a corporation, a large building, an institution, or even isolation. Whereas in tarot, the tower represents destruction or a very significant event that is going to change everything in your life. So the meanings of the cards are very different and the deck is smaller than, uh, than a standard tarot deck. So next we are going to talk about Kipper cards. So these are somewhat similar to the Wonderman cards. Um, again, 36 cards in a deck. They're also read in groups, not in single cards. However, the Kipper is not symbolic. So where the Lenormand uses kind of a symbolic language with those images, referencing, you know, an animal as kind of like a fox to represent work, things like that. The Kipper is even more straightforward. So it's very much like work, marriage, dishonesty, and court and it removes the mystery from this type of deck. So it, it's a very, very, very straightforward deck. It's one of the more modern ones, and it originated in Germany in the 1890s. And its images are main character, male and female, marriage, coven, 
and good gent, good lady, letter, dishonesty, change, journey, win lots, rich girl, rich gent, sad news, good outcome, his thoughts, gift, infant, fatality, house, living room, military person, court, theft, high honors, great fortune, unexpected money, expectation, prison, court official, sorrow, gloomy thoughts, work, long way, and hope. So very, very straightforward meanings. And each one of these cards appears to kind of have the same value. Um, it's not entirely true, but it kind of seems that way, right? There is a structure hidden within the way that the deck is put together. And if you all would like some more information about that, I do have some really good resources on these different types of card card uses for divination. So go ahead and shoot me an email at thewitchyhistorian at gmail.com and I will be happy to send you any of those. I'm also going to, in the show notes, I will cite the book that I've gotten most of my information from today. So um, another type of card, we have regular playing cards, right? This is what a lot of people used before the traditional tarot deck was created. And this has been used by many, many, many people. Traditional meanings of the numbers ace is one, two, three, four, and through. We have the jack, which is kind of an inexperienced person or a young person. They're usually energetic and passionate. The queen is a mature female identifying person. And the king is a mature male identifying person. So hearts represent emotions, feelings, romance, love, water. Spades are thoughts, communications, ideas, or air. Clubs are energy, enthusiasm, passion, fire, and um, diamonds are money, work, material concerns, or earth. So very similar to a tarot deck, except for there's no major arcana cards. But this is your basic minor arcana suits is your typical playing card deck. And then, of course, we go on to tarot. We have the suit of cups, which represents water and emotion. The suit of swords, which represents the um, air and thought communication. We have the suit of wands, which is fire and action. And we have the suit of pentacles, which is earth and kind of material concerns like that physicality, the physical things, right? So, but we also have the major arcana, which contains cards like the magician, the high priestess, tower, death, um, the sun, the star, the moon. All of those different cards are in there as well. And I will actually be doing a tarot series uh, before too much longer. And we'll go over what each of those is and what they mean in a little bit more detail.
Then we have oracle cards. Oracle cards are kind of tricky because each author defines what each card means on their terms. Some of them are only about 20 to 30 cards large, and some of the decks are really big. I have a deck that's almost 80 cards, but each card is going to have a different definition based on the author that wrote the deck. And these are usually themed. The Oracle decks that I have are the Urban Crow, the Celtic Tree Oracle, and the Oracle of mystical magic. So each one is going to have a different theme and imagery and interpretations that go along with that theme. Next we have runes. And so there's two different types of runes that are most common. We have the Elder Futhark, which is what most people associate with Norse runes, um, where we'll see things like Fehu, Rido, and all of that. These are the ancient alphabet system that were used by Germanic and Nordic people, and they have been passed down, and each one of those runes is associated with not just a letter, but also a specific meaning. So Fehu is like cattle, and if it's reversed, it can mean, it can represent things like financial difficulty, loss of fortune. So Fehu, when you think of cattle, think of like a Taurus, right? So a Taurus is someone who really likes things that are like secure, financially stable. They like money, but not necessarily to be super luxurious, but they're thinking financial stability and prosperity, especially within business. So this is kind of a rune of new beginnings and can represent that better times ahead type deal. Um, and just like tarot, a reverse rune can represent kind of the opposite of what that rune would normally mean. And there are, and there are 24 of the Elder Futhark runes. There are other groupings of runes that you can find, and some people do create rune sets with them, but the most common and the best known grouping of runes is the Elder Futhark. Another form of runes is the Witch's runes, and these are more common multicultural or more commonly recognized symbology um, runes like the sun, the moon, little kind of bird-like shapes that represent flight, rings to represent connection, kind of a little flower that represents romance, woman, man, harvest, crossroads, the star, things like that. And these are symbols, again, that have been used in multiple cultures in symbol, in symbology, in imagery, on cave, in cave art, in both European and indigenous cultures around the world. So this is kind of a, a mix of design. A lot of them are based in Celtic and Native American imagery, but there is a mix of others as well, such as the eye, the all-seeing eye. This is this is Egyptian. This is Egyptian imagery. 
and is can be found also in the Middle East. So things to consider when thinking about what kind of room set you want, if you want the Witch's Runes or the Elder of Futhark. I know there are some people, even though um, Norse paganism is not a close practice, to the best of my knowledge anyway, I don't want to give bad information, but to the best of my knowledge, it is not a closed practice. And so those those Nordic runes are available for, for use without causing any issues, right? Some people don't feel correct using those tools because they don't have Norse ancestry or whatever for whatever reason. And I say if you are interested in divination, use the tool that feels best for you. I have a variety of different tools and I use different ones on different days. I have a lot of different tarot decks because some days there's a deck that I really enjoy using that just isn't jiving with me. And I'll grab a different deck and then it gives me a much better reading or gives me a much clearer answer. And so having a variety of options, some days my runes talk to me better. Some days scrying is a better option for me. Another option is pendulums. Sometimes, sometimes my pendulum will give me my answer when nothing else really is clearing up anything for me. One way, um, a lot of people, when they're using runes, they will draw a rune out of the bag and use that to get their divination. However, another way to do it is by casting your runes. So usually for this, you'll take a cloth and then you'll take the bag and you'll just kind of do one swing sweep and whatever falls out of the bag scatters on the cloth. You leave it lay where it is. Anything that's outside of the borders of the cloth, you pick up and put back in your bag. And then you interpret your cast based on what rune fell where in the casting. Other forms of casting, you can use a bag of charms. So each charm would be a different image, like a star or a moon or whatever it would be. And you can use those very similarly to runes. Another method of casting is bones, casting bones and different bones from different animals, from different parts of the animal. Um, represent different things. This is very, very common in Celtic practices and also in indigenous Native American practices as well. Another method is buttons or shells. Another form of casting is uh, based in ancient China. It goes back about 7,000 years that we know of, and it's called I Ching or I Jing. And it literally is small little carved buttons, hexagrams that each have a different image on them or a slightly different image. And you throw them and then pick up three of those coins, shake them in your hand for a moment, throw them down. And then if the majority of the coins fall with their heads up, you're going to draw an unbroken line on your piece of paper. That is a yang line. If they all fall heads up, you mark a small cross at the end of the line. And then you do this four more times for four lines. 
each one above the other until you have six lines. So you do this and then you interpret that hexagram. And it's really, really interesting how this turns out. Um, so this is a combination of casting and then using that methodology to interpret your casting. Another method of casting for divination is dice. Simple questions if you're using a single die. One is yes, two suggests no, three is wait, the time isn't right for an answer, four suggests that you direct your attention to more pressing matters, five suggests that it is likely but there might be conditions, six suggests that their matter is out of your hands. Um, there's obviously other ways to interpret your dice as well if you're doing multiple die and all of that if you're using a chart to cast them onto or uh, some kind of cloth with an image on it. Yeah, so there's many different ways that you can practice casting as a form of divination. We can also read colors. So we have different colors that are associated with different things. So in ribbon readings, uh, which is one common way of divining with color. A ribbon of each color can be collected and kept in a protective bag or pouch. Um, some diviners will include more than one kind of ribbon for each color. Um, so this can add kind of a variety of lengths and textures to make it a little bit more up to chance. And so the diviner will draw a bunch of ribbons and hold them loosely in their hand and then with their eyes closed, the questioner will pick out a few ribbons at random. And if the subject sees the colors before choosing, the conscious choice will disrupt the process. So the questioner has to have their eyes closed. So the questioner can select just one ribbon, but for a more detailed reading, three or four can be drawn. And then the colors will be interpreted based on what they mean to the person. Um, is anything grouped together in the way that you're holding them? How does it feel? How long is the ribbon? All of that type of stuff. So that is one way that color can be used in divination. We also have crystal grids and casting crystals onto a crystal grid, which would be a different variety of different varieties of crystals that you would have that you would then use on your crystal grid. We also have tassiomancy, which is tea leaves or coffee grounds. And in order to do this, you brew loose leaf tea or coffee in a cup. You drink as much of it as you can without actually drinking the leaves and the coffee. That is said to put your energy into the drink itself. Then at the end, when you only have a little bit, kind of the dregs in the bottom of your cup, you swirl it around and it depends upon who your leaf or grounds reader is. Um, a lot of them will say swirl it three times clockwise and then you tip it upside down on your saucer and you let all of the extra liquid drip out. 
and then they turn the cup over and they look at the pattern of the leaves or the coffee grounds in the bottom of the cup and they interpret them and the imagery that they see within it based on symbology, cultural references, and of course their own interpretation. Finally, we have reading flowers. So to read flowers, you can read, well, you can read fortunes with any tools that you find in nature, right? But with flowers, you can use their stems by casting them kind of down into a pile, which is one way that I've heard it being done in the Appalachians, especially in the Ozark region of the Appalachians. But also, each flower has a specific meaning. So, for instance, begonias represent warning or dark thoughts, or to proceed with caution. Belladonna represents silence because, you know, belladonna is super poisonous. So, like, the silence of death. Carnations, yellow carnations specifically, represent disdain, rejection, and disappointment. Stargazer lilies represent sympathy. And red roses represent love and romance. That's why they're specifically associated with like things like Valentine's Day. So to read a flower, if you're doing like a single flower, you're going to look at whether it's open or closed. You're going to look at the stem and the leaves and how many are on there. It's The stem um, is supposed to account for a person's past. The flower itself represents the present. And, and the leaves represent any types of life-changing diversions or children or any type of person, like significant past relationships that may have created an additional path for you. Flower scrying can be performed in a lot of different ways, um, but one of the ancient methods used by the Romans has the diviner kind of scatter petals and dried flowers into water, which is not unlike kind of tea leaf reading. So then the diviner will become aware of certain shapes and placement of the flowers as they float and settle in the water. And so, yeah, different ways to do that. And I also want to touch on the pendulum as well. This is a really popular method of divination. This can be done with a board or without a board. This can also, is very, it is also very similar to using a planchette on a spirit board. And I want to be very clear about something. Some people believe that like a spirit possesses the item to make it do the thing. Spirit is just energy. No matter what you believe about afterlives or demons or angels or whatever. Spirits on this plane are energy. There is no such thing as good energy or bad energy. It's just energy. How we choose to use it and manipulate it and interact with it is the effect that it can have on us. Yes, there are some things out there that are not great. But that is not because that thing is inherently evil. 
That is because that energy has been manipulated to become harmful. So I personally choose not to use what some would call Ouija boards or spirit boards, but that is me. I use a pendulum and I use a board with that pendulum. My pendulum does not become possessed. My board does not become a gateway. My black obsidian mirror is not a gateway. My black obsidian sphere is not a gateway. I have a mirror that is not a gateway. The most important thing to remember when you're doing divination of any kind is that you're cleansing your tools and that you're working with them and that you are engaging with them and keeping them clear so that they only have the types of energies that you want with them, in them, so that your energy is associated with them. You're positive, you're uplifting, your truth-seeking energy is inherently part of those tools and surrounding those tools at all times. I also regularly cleanse my tools. If something's been left stagnant for a while, I don't use it until it's been cleansed. Just like if I get something new, if I get a new deck, I cleanse it first. There are many, many, many different ways that you can cleanse. You don't have to smoke cleanse. You don't have to water cleanse. You don't have to use the moon or the sun. There are many, many, many different ways. You can use salt. Some people even use sugar. I know people that don't really like salty things, so they choose to use like sugar as a cleansing agent. They just put a bowl of sugar out and they put their stuff in it overnight. That's fine. Do what feels right to you for each tool. I personally like to keep all of my decks with a piece of quartz or selenite to help keep the energy from getting stagnant because quartz and selenite transmute energy and they help keep things kind of moving and not get stale. But that is all I have for you today. I hope that you all have a wonderful couple of weeks. I will see you again. I'm going to have an episode recorded and dropping for you while I am out of town. So I will be at Anahata's Purpose on September 8th. And y'all are going to be listening to an episode that day. It is a history episode, and I'm going to be talking to you all about Pope Paul, John Paul, one of the popes, um, and one of the decrees that he made that created the beginnings of anti-witch hysteria because the supercilious specula allowed the testimony of hallucinations to be used as court evidence. And previously, it had not been allowed. So we're going to talk about that in two weeks, September 8th. I'll see you all then. In the meantime, if I'm quiet on the Facebook group, feel free to hop in, post some shit, make it crazy in there. If you're not in the Facebook group, look me up, facebook.com slash thewitchyhistorian. Find me on podbean.com slash the witchy historian if you can't find any of my stuff 
that'll tell you where all of my socials are. Also, I'm on TikTok at The Witchy Historian. I'm on Instagram at Witchy Historian. You can email me at thewitchyhistorian at gmail.com. I have a Patreon if you want a Patreon shout out and occasionally to get some cool shit. Like, very occasionally, because my life is insane. But if you want want to occasionally get some cool shit, <laughs> you can sign up for Patreon at patreon.com slash thewitchyhistorian. And, uh, you know, you can also, like I said earlier, you can get some ad space. And you can advertise on the show if you have a business. I would love to, like, use my platform to boost y'all's businesses. Please, please do that. That is at podbean.com slash the witchy historian ad space. So please use that if you would like to. In the meantime, have a great couple of weeks. Go get you some pumpkin shit. Or if you don't like pumpkin shit, apple shit. If you don't like apple shit, some cinnamon shit. Because cinnamon is our lord and savior, as my good friend Charlie from the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour podcast says. <laughs> also, go listen to the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour. They're fucking badasses. And also, Two Geminis and a Leo and your average witch. And head on over to Instagram and follow Corey's Cauldron. Corey's Cauldron will tell you what all of the podcasts are talking about. All of the witchy events in your area. Corey's on the shed. They've got you. All right. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening to me and sticking this out with me. I will talk to you soon. Love you all. Bye.